Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode nine of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, happy to be back in the big chair and back with you, my dear friends, after a lovely Labor Day weekend. I'm lucky to live in the great state of Maryland where, as you may or may not know, by law, school cannot start until after Labor Day. Governor Larry Larry Hogan has decided that, look, we want to get every last drop of summer we can, get more people out to the the shoreline in Ocean City. And so that's where we were over the Labor Day weekend, some time out there with the family. It was a fantastic little trip. Nice to get away after the big move and everything else. But we come back and we roll right into it because we are into week one of the NFL season. Now, today's show is another loaded episode for you fine folks with a fantastic theme, the final roster. Peeking ahead to Sunday night. I'll be running through how I fared with my final roster projections and talk about three moves that surprised me the most. Then Noah Princiati from the Boston Globe will join me to work through the roster moves, work through some burning questions, and to help sort of set the expectations for Sunday night. But before we get to all of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schoolfield. Please do check out the work at a number of places. Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, mattwaldmanrsp.com, insidethepylon.com. Proud to announce officially that I am fully back on board at Pro Football Weekly for the upcoming season. My first piece is up today. That's Wednesday, September 4th. Breaking down Matt LaFleur and what Packers fans might expect from that Green Bay Packers offense this year. And of course, the triumvirate of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the Honorable Michael J. Kist. And of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you can find this podcast along with some film breakdowns and more. Also, don't forget that you can be a part of the ongoing discussion on the Sco Show Slack channel. Lucky and honored to have a growing community of Pats fans constantly talking Pats and more over there. And you can hit me up for an invitation via Twitter or email mark.scofield that inside the pylon.com. So let's roll into it right now and let's start sort of what people probably want to hear first, right? How did I do with the full-on roster projections? The roster projection of integrity, as I called it. Because look, I just made one guess, one guess only. None of this roster projection 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. No, this was one and done. And I did okay. 46 out of 53. And to be fair, to be fair... I did it Wednesday morning. It was before they announced three trades, which we're going to talk about to get some depth on the offensive line. So 
You know, if if they don't make those moves, maybe I'm 49 of 53. But still, 46 of 53 on the roster projection of integrity. I don't think it's too bad. Could be worse. Could be better. Could be worse. Let's sort of go through it right now. And we'll talk about this a bit more. But look, out the gate, quarterback room, I only get two of the three. I thought they would keep three quarterbacks, find a way to get Brian Hoyer on the roster. They did not do that. Tom Brady and Jared Stidham. So we're two for three out of the gate. But we rebound with the running back and tight end groups, nailed all eight of those players. Sony Michelle, James White, James Devlin, Rex Burkhead, Brandon Bolden, Damian Harris at the running back spots. As you heard me talk about with Taylor Kyles, that was a pretty easy call. Tight end a little bit tougher. Matt Lacoste, Ryan Izzo, they stick. So now we're better, right? We've got 10 of 11. Wide receiver goes a bit wonky. Got Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, Jacoby Myers, Demarius Thomas eventually. But I missed on the Nikhil Harry going to IR. Didn't really project that. And Gunner. Gunner sticks on the roster, much to the joy of various members of the Scotio's Slack channel. There was almost a visible roar on the app when it was announced. And he was actually, no, no, got to stick on this roster. So Gunner finds a way on. Offensive line. Nailed the start in five. I think most people did. Win, Tooney, Karras, Mason, Cannon. But then just, look, they went, you know, wholesale change behind those guys. I thought they'd keep Skipper. Remember, I sort of switched that on the fly over crossing Froholt and Ferentz. Nope. Those guys are out. Russell Bodine is in. Cunningham is in on a trade. And then Jermaine... Illuminor, also via trade. And so the Patriots go wholesale change at the depth spots behind their started offensive linemen. They work a trade with Arizona for Corey Cunningham, trade with Baltimore for, like I said, Illuminor, and then a trade with Buffalo for Russell Bodine. Now, Cunningham and Illuminor, I think we can believe that those are just depth guys. Tootie and Mason, some of the best guards in the game. Cannon is a fantastic right tackle. Win. Yes, a bit more of a question mark, but from what we've seen and from what people have told me and others around this team, it seems to be that the Patriots are satisfied with win. But Karras at the center spot, stepping in for David Andrews, that might be more of a question mark. And Bill Belichick did sort of talk about Russell Bodine recently when the, when the trade was made, after that trade was made, saying, look, he, he started a long time in this league. He started for a couple different franchises now. And... You know, he's obviously been very good where he's been. Now, Bengals fans and Bills fans might sort of disagree with that. But we'll see. You know, Belichick's direct quote. Russell's had a solid career. He's quite a bit of experience playing center for Cincinnati and then most recently for Buffalo. He's also played guard in the past, so we'll see how it goes with the three linemen that we acquired over the past few days and just see how it all works out. But he's at this point one of the most exper- one of the more experienced players on our team in terms of NFL experience. So we'll see how that all comes together. And so we'll be interested to watch. I'm going to ask Noah Princiati in a few moments if Bodot is depth or more. Now on the defensive side of the ball, did pretty good up front in terms of the interior defensive line guys, Shelton, Coward, and Butler. Got those guys. On the edge. Winovich, Bennett, and Simon, I got. I said Rivers, he's gone. Wise sticks. So I missed that one. 
Now, he's listed at a linebacker spot, but Shalit Calhoun I did not get, but I got some of the other linebackers, all the other linebackers. You know, KVN, Collins, Hightower, Robertson, Bentley, again, pretty easy call. Gilmore, Jason McCourty, J.C. Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Joan Williams. Those corners stick. I got those guys right. One I didn't get, Duke Dawson. The Patriots decided to move on from him. And I know in the wake of this decision to trade a second-round pick, there's a lot of people that are saying, oh, it's evidence that maybe Bill Belichick can't draft corners or he can't make second-round picks. And sure, that's the sort of glass-half-empty way to look at it, the pessimistic view. But think about this. Ask yourself this. Close your eyes, dear friends, and ask yourself this. How many other franchises would have just kept chasing this ghost of a second-round pick, worried about the sunk cost if you've missed on it? Other franchises, they'll just cut bait. You know, I do do a lot of work with the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of covering them with the QB Sco show over at Bleeding Green Nation, and they made a somewhat similar decision just this year. Now, a second-round pick versus a fifth-round pick aren't, you know, it's not apples to apples. But when you're talking about a fifth-round quarterback, that's a little different. And they just immediately moved on from Clayton Thorson, replacing him basically with Josh McCown, who is working for ESPN just a couple of weeks ago. The smart franchises are the ones that decide, look, we're just going to move on from this. We've made a mistake. There's no sense, you know, chasing this down, keeping this dream alive. Let's just move on from it. And that's what the Patriots did with Dawson. At the safety spot, I was, I, Obi made it. Excited about that. Along with Harmon, Chun, Devin McCourty. Also, Terrence Brooks made it. And you remember, our good friend Taylor Kylas had Terrence Brooks in as well. The specialist, Ghost is the kicker, Bailey is the punter, Cardona is the lawn snapper, Matthew Slater as the gunner, and I listed him as a specialist, Nate Ebderlo. He's listed as a safety on the depth chart to round out this roster, this 53-man roster. Now, in terms of surprises, obviously, look, it surprised me that Stidham was the only quarterback kept behind Tom Brady. And Brian Hoyer immediately had suitors and immediately found a home. You know, signing with Indianapolis, three years, $12 million. Not a bad gig if you can get it, my friends. But it is a bit surprising in a sense because I thought they would want the flexibility in terms of if, knock on wood, God forbid, cross your heart, hope to die, something does happen to Tom Brady, I thought they might want the flexibility of do they roll with Hoyer and just ride it out? Do they give Stidham a shot? I thought they might want to kick that decision down the road a bit. But what stuck in the back of my mind and the mind of others was look at all the tough decisions they had to make around the rest of this roster. One spot might be critical, and maybe it was. And so in the end, they're rolling with Jared Stidham behind Tom Brady. And it's, again, impressive to think about the progress that Jared Stidham has made from some of the film we saw on him at Auburn to a rough minicamp, as Evan Lazar told us and others have told us, to now be in QB2 as a rookie. It's very impressive, the, the rise that he's made, the development that he's shown. And if you look at the landscape of rookie quarterbacks, you can make a strong case that, okay, Daniel Jones has had the best preseason out of all the rookies. But maybe after Jones, it's Ryan Finley in Cincinnati who's played very well, and Jarrett Stidham. And some of that might be the fact that Finley and Stidham going up against 
threes and twos and fours, not going up against starters. But at times they got him some reps against ones. They got him out there early in game four of the preseason. So he was going up against some twos and guys fighting for the spots and playing with guys like Josh Gordon and Demarius Thomas. And so Stidham's look good. So it's a, it's a fantastic thing to see. Obi sticking on the roster again. I can stick to that dream a little bit longer of they're going to find a way to use him, use him on tight ends, you know, use him on bigger receivers, try to take advantage of his length, his size. I'm not going to give up that ghost. I'm not the Patriots in that sense. Look, I, I wrote this piece and I've talked about this. We all want to be right. I wrote a piece last week over Matt Wallen's RSP about my draft evaluation of Dwayne Haskins. We all want to be right in the sense that we want to be right about our valuations and our calls. It's human nature. So I, I'm high on OB still, and I want to be right. What can I say? Now, finally, the third thing that sort of stuck with me, the turnover behind the starters in the offensive line. They, Like I said, wholesale changes. And is this just another sort of Duke Dawson-esque move where they looked at what they had behind the starters and said, this this won't do it. This is not going to do it. If something happens to these top-line guys, we need to improve. The Patriots do a fantastic job at pro scouting. You know, it's one thing to look at the college guys and be able to get it right. And in the wake of the Duke Dawson move, maybe people think they don't do a good job at that. Again, I would disagree, but still. People have that opinion, and they're entitled to it. But when you look at the pro scout inside, they do a fantastic job of identifying what players can do, finding ways that they will fit in what the Patriots do schematically on either side of the ball, and then making it work. Kyle Van Noy is a fantastic example of that. It's the one I always come to. And so they've probably looked around and realized that, look, the guys we had just weren't going to get it done behind our top-line guys. And these guys, Cunningham, Bodine, Illuminor, they're going to be upgrades. And when you're talking about a 16-game season with hopes and aspirations for playing more than that, guys will get banged up, guys will get hurt. Before you know it, a twisted ankle is the difference between your starting left tackle and your backup left tackle, whoever that is, protecting Tom Brady's blind side. And if protecting TB12 is job one, you want to make sure the guys you have on the roster can do that. Finally, before we hit a little pause sell some ad space and stuff like that, and then chat with Noah Princiotti. I do want to plug just for a moment a piece that's up, my review of My Life on the Line. It's up on Pat's Pulpit Now, that book by Ryan O'Callaghan, the former Patriots and Chiefs lineman, and written with him and Sid Ziegler, the creator and co-founder of Outsports.com. It's a fantastic book. It's an important book. You know, there are many tracks to this piece and to Ryan O'Callaghan's story. There's, you know, his struggles with self-identity and eventually coming out to his family and to the world, you know, as a former NFL player who happens to be homosexual. There's his struggles with depression, with substance abuse. Now, there are multiple layers to this book, which is why I think, you know, as we become more cognizant and open and aware of mental health struggles, of substance abuse struggles, I've been open with my own struggles with depression and anxiety on the Locked On podcast when I was hosting that and You've probably heard me mention it once or twice here. I've been very open about my struggles. You know, a book like this is extremely important if you're going through something like that or if you know someone who is. And chances are, if you're not going through something like this yourself in terms of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, whatever, you know somebody who is. 
this book is a window into what it's like to be that person. And it's a great window into how that person views those around him. And so if you do know somebody who's struggling with issues like that, this is an important book to read. So I, I strongly recommend it. You can get it on Amazon. You can read the review on Pat's Pulpit. You know, uh, you can see the links to buy the book down there. Um, and as I've said on Locked On and here and other places, if you are struggling, you can reach out to me. Again, mark.schofield at insidepylon.com or Twitter at Mark Schofield. Send me a DM, send me an email. I am more than happy to listen. You can probably ask around. There are people that I've been that person for before. There are people that I will be that person for in the future. And so if you're going through things like that, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I know that sounds a little strange, but I'm here. Up next, my conversation with Noah Princeotti from the Boston Globe talking about the Patriots roster and more. That's ahead on Episode 9 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back to episode nine of the SCO Show, proudly brought to you by the fine folks at Pat's Pulpit and part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. And could not be more excited for our next guest. She does such a fantastic job covering the Patriots for the Boston Globe. She is Nora Princiati. Happy to have her from Gillette. How are you doing today, Nora? I'm doing great. It's fantastic to be back to you, back with you. Um, Going to roll right into it now. Patriots get down to 53 men over the weekend. Were there any moves that surprised you or that you were not fully expecting? Uh, well, I mean, I think the main one would be, uh, it's, it's funny. I think we've all just sort of acknowledged that we're considering um, Keon Crossan's spot after he got traded to have gone to Gunnar Olszewski, which isn't a one for one necessarily because they right. don't play the same position. Obviously it, it, you know, the numbers game, it adds up to 53 that way, but I don't necessarily mean to lump those two together, but because I actually wasn't that surprised that Gunner made the roster the night before I was saying to someone, I was like, I really, I can't see the path. I can't figure out how they would do it, but I sort of feel like this guy's earned it and, and they might want to, just find a way to keep him on. But I did not see, I really thought that they would keep crossing around. I saw him honestly as kind of a Matthew Slater heir apparent. Um, so it wasn't so much as of um, what he brought defensively, but he just seemed like someone that they could really groom into one, a great guy to have in the locker room. People love that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then to someone who could eventually, you know, really be a special team stalwart. And we know how much Bill Belichick cares about that. So I was really surprised to see him go. And then obviously Gunner's such a great story that that became a big deal. But really, I thought the departure of Crossan was more surprising than 
Gunner making the team. However, I guess we've just sort of all decided that those two moves went hand in hand. You know, a move that surprised me was the decision to keep just the two quarterbacks. Do you think the decision to roll just with Stidham behind Brady was part of the numbers game, an indication of how the team feels about Stidham, or just a combination of the two? So that's interesting. Why? So, and I think you're you're in some ways right to be surprised because from my understanding that was a really 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 tough call. I actually wasn't that surprised oh, by okay. it. My my prediction was that it was going to be Brady and Stidham. Um just because, you know, Stidham's had the best preseason of a rookie quarterback that Bill Belichick's had. Right. And I mean, we're talking about someone who, you know, yes, it's just preseason, but preseason Season is the only opportunity that he has had to prove himself. And statistically, he was better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he really, really, really did an impressive job. And and the stats are helped a little bit by the fact that he had some balls that probably should have been picked off that weren't. But overall, he was really productive and showed a lot of talent. So my thing was always, you know, our hindsight on, on Garoppolo certainly is that he would have been worthy of, of that role, right? And right. if Stidham outperformed him, then why not? Um, to argue against myself here, I think the why not is less about, you know, okay, what if Tom Brady gets hurt? Because I don't know that, you know, if that happened late in the season, I really don't know how much of a difference Hoyer's experience versus Stidham's potential is going to make by then because Stidham certainly has a higher ceiling. Also, I just think that if Tom Brady gets hurt, you know, you're kind of screwed either way. Yeah. That said, Hoyer brought so much in the intangibles and, in how he was kind of an extra coach, an extra set of eyes who's seen so many systems around the league, but who also understands the Patriot system so well. Um, You know, I think we've all heard stories like from the Super Bowl about how much Tom Brady trusts, his eyes and what he sees on the field and the way that he's been really helpful in that regard. So I think, you know, and I think anybody who has paid super close attention over the last week has sort of sensed the, the reluctance. And I don't think it's regret because they knew what they had to do and, you know, they, they did what they had to do. Um, but just, you can tell that it kind of hurt some of the coaches here to, to let Hoyer go um, and I think it's that element, yeah. you know, is, is them ultimately having to say, okay, we're putting together a roster of 53 football players and we have to keep the ones who are going to help us the most on the field. And that doesn't include Brian Hoyer, but man, this guy did a lot for us in addition to, you know, being someone who could go out there if, if something happened to Brady. Um, so I think that's sort of the surprising element of it, but this is a very long winded way of saying that ultimately I thought that. Stidham was a fairly clear selection. You know, other news along the Patriots' offensive line, the health of David Andrews, his season cut short. The Patriots make a move at the center spot, acquiring Russell Bodine. Is this a depth move behind Ted Karras, or should we be expecting Bodine to step into the starting lineup in the near future? So I would call Ted Karras your starting center right now. Um, I do think that Bodine could push him later in the season, but he could also not, Right. <laughs> you know, I, I think those two guys just through the combination of experience and skill set, you know, it's, it's a reasonably fair fight. Um, 
Bodine was part of some, you know, pretty good lines in Cincinnati, but he doesn't have experience in this system. And I think it's almost impossible to overstate how complicated the protection schemes are here. So I think even though he did, you know, and he mentioned this the other day, he played for a year under Brian Dable in, in Buffalo and that helped him a little bit in terms of picking up the terminology and picking up the system. But I think he will learn that just that year, it's not going to put him where someone like a Karis is who's been here and who knows it. So I would say that he has the potential to make that a competition. It's not like, okay, here's the clear backup, but my expectation would be that Karis starts. It was also interesting, Nora, to see them go basically wholesale changes behind their starters because, you know, if you had, like, say, Skipper in your final projection like I did, you were wrong. If you had, you know, Ferenc in your final projection, you were wrong because they bring in the guys from Arizona and Baltimore. Are these some signs that the players that were in these spots were coming along or just a chance to acquire talent and positions behind the starters? Well, you know what? I think to sort of understand what happened there, you got to take a little bit of, like expand your scope a little bit because think about it this way. You had Schwenke and Valdir retire. Um, You've got, you know, the David Andrews thing. I don't totally know how long they saw that coming down the pipeline, but there were so many things that happened. So many dominoes that fell um, on the offensive line of, of, um, you know, could you just going on NFI or being on NFI? I think those guys, the skippers and the Ferences, who really didn't look that great in the preseason, the perception of them was maybe a little bit inflated just because they were being pushed into, you know, Dan Skipper was your starting left tackle for a lot of training camp. And I think people internalized that a little bit. I don't know that that was ever the expectation with those players was, you know, these people have this amount of talent and these skill sets and we can develop that. I I think they were given that opportunity because the Patriots found themselves in an unexpected situation because of two retirements, um, a third round pick who's not going to play. And then you're starting center having, you know, blood clots in his lungs, which obviously is, is not something you really plan for. Uh, and I think that they were given an opportunity to prove themselves. And once it was pretty clear, like, you know what, this isn't going to cut it. It was, all right, let's, let's jump on this before it's the big transaction weekend and try to shore up the depth here with some guys who are maybe a little bit more NFL ready. Um, but I don't, I think it was more that, uh, those players who maybe weren't expected to make the team, got a bigger opportunity than they might have otherwise but when it didn't work out they were like okay this was not our plan a to begin with so let's move on and find ultimately a plan c at that point you know uh, another interesting storyline a guy that did sort of make the most of his opportunities brian coward out of maryland a fifth round pick but made this roster how impressive has he been this preseason should we expect to see him getting plenty of playing time yeah, man, he's a beast. Um, I don't know that he'll get like, I don't, I think he will be kind of a situational player. Gotcha. Um, I don't think that he will, you know, it would surprise me if he played more than I'm just spitballing a number here, 20% of defensive snaps or something like that. Um, even that I think would be, would be surprising. However, 
what I think we are seeing is that, you know, um, both Casario and Belichick at, at different times have alluded to the fact that he was mostly playing against the run at Maryland, and perhaps that wasn't the best fit for him. And we've seen he had that sack in the Titans game that was just like, right. he is physically a beast. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, like maybe they'll try to put him in, in a few situations like that and, and see what he can do. Uh, I don't know how quickly he'll pick it up, especially if his role is changing a little bit in addition to just how different college is from the NFL and having to make that adjustment. Um, but if that works out, I mean, athletically, he has a ton of potential. So I don't think that we'll see any sort of major role with him, but I think he's impressed them. And I think that they see someone in him who could end up looking like a steal in the fifth round, maybe with just a little bit of a shift in role from what he was doing in college. What's also impressive about this defense, it's such a talented roster on the defensive side of the ball, the depth at linebacker and secondary. How important is that depth and flexibility for what the Patriots want to do on that side of the football? Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see what their defense looks like on Sunday because we had there was an interesting, um, both Mike Tomlin and Belichick, um, because talked about this morning, uh, made the point that the you know week one and maybe even week two but the beginning of the season you certainly game plan you know you look back at um week 15 from last year and and even games prior to that and you try to think about what your opponent's going to do certainly but this early in the season it's a little bit more about what you do than what your opponent does because you just you know it's a new year right. there's new personnel you don't have the depth of knowledge you don't have as much film that you can watch yet and I think that'll give us a really good opportunity to kind of get a sense of what this Patriots defense wants to be doing on a week-to-week basis when you remove at least a degree of the specificity of game planning for one opponent versus another because we've just seen them do so many things and they do have so much depth they have so many guys who are good players And are also versatile that, you know, they can definitely continue to shift 3-4-4-3. I think we're going to see that amoeba defense that we saw a bunch last year, probably even more. And they've just looked really experimental over the last month-ish in that area. So I I, I think Sunday is going to be a really good kind of blank canvas opportunity to see where they want to go and the fact that they just are you know they're so deep at linebacker they're so deep in the secondary they're so good as well as being deep in the secondary that I think it will give them a lot of opportunities to try things up front because they have that trust that the back end is going to hold up so you can for instance you know play Michael Bennett as your single down lineman um, because you just know that the back end is going to be solid. That I don't know that this is the most specific answer I could give, but I, I just think it's going to be really interesting to watch because, yeah, not only do they have the kind of depth that means they will be less tired towards the end of games, but really the sky's the limit 
schematically when it comes to what they can do with these guys. So I'm super curious to watch them, you know, go against what is still a pretty stacked offense in Pittsburgh, um, but who they don't have the luxury of, you know, several weeks of this year's film just to kind of see how they attack it. I think it'll be cool. Nora, I'm going to have some listener questions here for you. The first is from Andy Likens via the Scotia Slack channel. Nora, as somebody covering this team on a daily basis, just how frantic is sort of cut down day for you? Okay, so I have to admit something here. Feel um, free. I had Saturday off this week. It was my day Saturday off. off. It was your day off? Yeah, and I didn't ask for it. My bosses just gave it to me. And normally, like, if something like that falls on a really big day, like cut day, I would kind of work anyway. Yep. And I wouldn't be the person who was writing things. But if I knew something, I would, you know, if, if I could hunt down some tidbit, I would pass it along and do whatever. And, and I spent maybe a couple hours doing that on Saturday, but I moved this weekend oh. and I just took it. I was like, you know what? I feel really guilty about this because it is like, it is such a frantic day and it's soul psych sucking. And you know, you're, you have a thousand balls in the air at, at one time. And also to me, it's just kind of this crappy thing because a lot of dreams yeah. die. Yeah. on that day and also we're gonna know eventually like to me there are sort of two categories of breaking news story one is you know it an hour or five minutes before it's just gonna be made official and then the other thing is like stories where if someone doesn't report it it's just never gonna come out mm -hmm. and that second category is a lot more satisfying to me than the first right um so yeah, no, it just, it like sucks on 12 different levels. And I looked, I'm like sitting at my computer, I get our schedule and I look at it and I'm like, wait, I'm off on the 31st. And then I just have this thinking feeling where I'm thinking about everybody else who's on the beat and how hard they're going to work that day. And I'm like, can I live with myself if I do this? And then I go, okay, but I also have to move. Right. I mean, it's yeah, not like okay. moving's fun. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, so, you're stuck in boxes and yeah, moving's not fun this either. Is actually, was... Yeah, but this is actually really cathartic for me because I felt very guilty about it because, no. you know, I'm still checking Twitter and, and seeing everybody that I'd normally work with just like grinding it out. And obviously, you know, I was on on Friday, but I sort of lucked out because the big news there was trades. Right. And so that's like a lot more sort of fun. Um, love a good trade. Yeah. Uh, but, and that way, you know, that, that starts to get pretty frantic, but it's not as bad. Um, but yeah, in, in general, it's, it's not a fun work day. It's not the most fun. Nora, as somebody that just went through a move, like I feel what you were going through on that Saturday. So feel free to just, you know, let it all out. It's okay. This is a safe space. It's okay. You had to move, right? We yeah, I'm honestly that. glad that we talked talked about this because I've I've had those feelings inside of me for a while this is, like since I said, Saturday this is... where I was like, I literally have to move. Like, I, I need this day off right? or well, I need a day off and I wasn't going to have a different – that was the one that I was given. I was like, well, I have to take it, but it's, I feel weird about this. It's not like your schedule is going to get easier now when the games start counting. So take no, advantage. That's true. Uh, that's true. 
another question for you, Nora, from the Scotia Slack channel, John Limaracus. Has some thoughts. Any thoughts from you, Nora, on whether CBD might be legalized in the next CBA? We saw Gronk, you know, his next chapter. Do you think it might get into the next CBA or not? Um, yeah, I think I, I think more likely than not. So I think the way that it would happen is that it wouldn't really be CBD related. It would just be that the end of, and it wouldn't like legalization would not be the terminology that they right. would use. I think what will happen is the NFL will stop testing for marijuana. Oh, and okay. I think I think the only reason that we don't hear owners talking about that and we don't have that as as a bigger talking point just kind of in the ecosystem as as something that really probably wouldn't be that hard to accomplish is that the owners want it as a bargaining chip. But I think they have to know that just perception of marijuana in this country has changed so much. I think they look silly suspending guys for that. And it's starting to be not even just silly, but potentially kind of a bad look because as people learn more and more about, you know, potential medicinal applications and pain relief and the possibility that a lot of these guys could use that instead of more heavy duty painkillers that Mm -hmm. have much gnarlier side effects. Like, I just don't think that it's a good look for them to keep suspending guys for pot. Um, the players certainly would love for them to stop testing for it. And so it, it really is a win-win. It's just that they can use it as a negotiating chip. So I think they will try to get something in return for it. But as long as they can do that, I, I think that's an easy one for the next CBA. Uh, fantastic points there nor let me get you out of here on this one i don't want a prediction or anything like that but just sort of your early expectations for sunday night that we're all gonna have fun out there there we go i like it i like that i think that's, that's a fantastic what I got. way to put it we're all gonna have fun it's just fun to have football back nor it's been fun to have you back on this show before you go please remind everybody where they can find you on twitter and what you're doing this season uh, at Nora Princiotti, that's N-O-R-A-P-R-I-N-C-I-O-T-T-I. And my work is in the Boston Globe, you know, several days a week or bostonglobe.com. Fantastic stuff, Nora. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been a blast having you back. We'll get you back here soon. And folks, that will do it for episode nine. I will be back tomorrow. Until then, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.